Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40, so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business, regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. All right, welcome back to the 40 Under 40 podcast. Caitlin, what is up? Yes, we are back, folks. Always same, folks. Thanks to all our loyal listeners out there. You know, we love a good fan base. (laughs) I know, we love the feedback. We love especially our incredible, like, celeb status guest today, right? How pumped are we? I mean, this guy, he is a best-selling author, but he's not just one of those best-selling authors that says they're a best-selling author. No one's ever heard of them. Like, this guy is an actual best-selling author. author. I feel like he's kind of out of our league. Um, he's written the book, Exactly What to Say. Have you, actually, have you read it? I have not read it. Ah, it's, it's on amazing. my loan list at the library. I read it or I listened to the audiobook many, many years ago and I'm going to take a, another listen because there's some really good nuggets in there. I mean, this thing's fa- this is all over bookstores. So you'll probably be able to find it. He's written exactly what to say, exactly how to sell, exactly where to start. This guy is crazy amazing because he's not only a best-selling author, but he does a million other things, which you're going to hear about. Yeah. And to date, over 2 million people across the globe in 57 different countries, they've benefited from his lessons. He's A sales leader, a professional speaker. He is just a true entrepreneur. I mean, anyone in this biz or or elsewhere has heard of him. He's, I mean, I'm so pumped. We're so excited to have you here. So excited. Phil, welcome. So tell us about your first business. You started a car wash business at the age of 14, correct? This is true. Yes. I did start my very first business just 14 years of age. And I think it all was fueled by the fact that I wanted a certain pair of trainers that we call sneakers here now in the US that my parents had decided were beyond realms of reasonable for them to pay for. I thought, well, wonder what happens if I can go earn my own money. And I started knocking on the doors of my neighbors and asking them quite politely whether they wanted to have their cars washed. Some said yes, some said no. Most just asked me how much I charged, which I later realized meant they were remarkably interested. And um I did okay with that little business, so much so that by the age of 15, I was making more money than most of my school teachers. Wow. Of of people in the year below me that were cleaning the bulk of the cars, and I was managing the business from above and and managing the client communications in between. So that was was fun, and I built a number of businesses through my teens, but it certainly started with that car washing business at 14, 15. Yeah, that's so cool. Was that like the first moment you were like, I can do this. I can be an entrepreneur. I can do this by myself. I, I don't think I ever pre-calculated it anywhere near as much as that. It'd be great to have this nostalgic, I'm starting a business, I'm an entrepreneur. It was more short-sighted than that at the time. I think what I was looking at is, is a way to earn some extra money. And like many entrepreneurs, you start with one reason that is short-sighted. It's prompted through a change in career or it's prompted through being made redundant or it's prompted through a need to make some extra cash or a burning desire towards some form of product or service that you think the market needs. And you run at it to fix that short-term thing and then you find yourself now on this almost almost quest for wherever it's going to take you next. But that, that 
that's certainly where it started. And, and I think what it taught me a lot in those days is you can design your own future. You can create your own reality. You are in control of a lot more than you think. It also taught me that a good idea is useless without high levels of execution. And it also taught me that with a great idea that is well executed and then goes on to be successful is a huge amount of responsibility too, right? If you're going to build something yeah. up, you've got to be prepared to bring it down. If you're not prepared to bring it down, you've got to say, how am I going to keep this thing running? If you're going to take people with you, you've got a duty towards those too. It's not just a fun and fancy thing like many people would view launching a business as. And I was very, very fortunate to trip over all of those lessons in my teens that many don't realize until they're a lot So you were making more money than your teachers at one point, you said, which is amazing. I'm curious, what did that do to your view on education? Did you end up going to college? Did you end up pursuing school further? I, I mean, I continue to do pretty well in my studies at school, working them part-time around my businesses. That was my reality. I had an offer on the table for one of the most prestigious universities in the country, and I was going to go and, and study business management at an illustrious UK college. By alternative, I thought I would probably learn best by becoming a manager in a business and actually getting hands-on experience. So at 18, I was offered a placement onto the grad program for one of the most successful, um, at the time, depart retail department store groups in the UK, so like a Macy's equivalent. Oh, wow. Um, and got taken onto their grad program as a trainee at 18, but then became the youngest ever sales manager, being fast-tracked up through that ranks with... Um, with a little bit of, of fortune and misfortune. So the person I ended up replacing in their role was suffering from stress and then had to be able to move to another part. So I kind of was the only option to get thrown into the deep end with a sink or swim leadership role at 18 years of age. And, and that was, again, another blessing in, in disguise. I think when you're younger and that you're in positions of authority or positions of leadership, the fact that you don't know what you don't know is a good thing. You also I, find that you have more people that are, are keen to see you succeed and cheer you on and offer you insight, advice and wisdom and, and encourage your growth rather than resent your growth or feel bitter or resentful towards your success. So there's an army of people prepared to be able to help you in those early stages of your career. And I, I, I think that was a, a real gift that I, that I received in my early career. Love That's that. really interesting. Yeah. Cause I feel like I've heard it both ways of like some of my friends who are really young managers have had, has experienced ageism and people wanting to bring them down because they're too young. So you didn't really have any of that. You experienced loads, of that. loads of that too. Um, and, and I remember a phrase that I developed that I was, that, that, that was very useful to me, which was, I'm really, really sorry that you feel my age as any bearing on my ability. I like and that. that. People as a mirror and they're like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, and I learned real quick that experience isn't measured in years. It's measured in the number of times you've done something, right? That's what experience right. is truly mm -hmm. measured. And there are a lot of people who've been doing stuff for 30 years badly. And they don't need a young kid like you coming in and telling them otherwise, right? No, but you've got to learn to say, well, actually, who do I respect? And whose opinions are important to me? And what really matters? And, and I don't know anybody's journey upwards in any profession that doesn't come into contact with some points of friction with some people wishing it was them and not you some people thinking well you've been given an inside line that 
that I should have got or that I never had happen in my journey to this point in time. So why should you have it easier than me? Like, like that resentment exists, particularly in middle management. It very rarely exists in people who've reached a level of contentment or anybody that would meet that, you know, that definition that's possibly overused of being self-made. You normally find those people are actually very giving, very free with their advice, very happy to share from their experience. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to find the haters. It just means that when you're younger, it's easier to find those people that want to give you the gold too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's so interesting because I do some coaching like on generations with companies. And it's so interesting to see how people think differently of people who haven't been there very long. But like you're saying, experience comes with experience, not age, right? It's not like that is the ultimate determining factor. So that's really interesting that you say that. So where did you go after? So you went basically from car washing entrepreneur to employee. Well, no, I had a car washing business. I had a lawn care business. I had a a business that was involved in garden design. I ran a mobile disc jockey business that was helping with weddings and birthday parties. All of these things were happening through my teens. And some of them I was sort of owner manager and some of them were were things that I would outsource and act as middle person and, and I enjoyed it I just felt that there was a level of further understanding that was needed from understanding the runnings of a bigger business and there's only way you, way you can do that is by by joining a part of one so I, I had the career through Debenhams I was I was fast-tracked through a number of stores I opened stores for them up and down the country I was then headhunted by another large retail group where I would fix and turn around broken retail stores and, and working with sales teams from the largest furniture retail business in the UK. I went from there where I was headhunted to, to head up the retail and commercial direct, uh, division of two Premier League soccer clubs. So I was negotiating and securing shirt sponsorship deals and their retail operation and everything that was non-player related, ticket sales etc. and all the licensing deals. That was fun for a while. I went from there to build a property business with a former client of mine at the property at the football club. And we built a property investment business that turned over 240 million pounds at its peak on a sales team of five. Wow. No big deal. About 2008. And you remember the world changed in 2008? The financial crisis. We were having a birthday and, and, and we were looking to sell for a significant multiple. And everything that we'd poured into it looked like it was going to pay us back twofold, both for ourselves and our clients. And then the global economic crisis hit and we had a product that was no longer viable. Like he, mm. he, all the things moved against it that meant our investment product was no more. There was no currency market supporting it, no lending market appetite to support it. It was game over. That sucks. So we bought that business down in 2008. And then what I was wondering was what to do, what to do, what to do. And while I was figuring out what to do next is I kept getting invited by small business networking groups to say, hey, Phil, will you come speak to our people with some ideas about how they can trade out a recession? And I thought, I'll do that. That'll be fun. And did some training sessions for them that then people would say, hey, can you expand on this? And I'd say, yeah, sure. And I'm like, I haven't written it yet. So then I'd write it after I'd sold it. And that was 2008. Today, my business has grown from there to now. I've written eight best-selling books. Um, I have the most listened to audio book on Audible in the nonfiction category. I've spoken in, well, what, 57 countries? No, 59 countries, five continents, over 2,500 paid presentations, trained two, trained 2 million plus people. It's been quite a ride. That's incredible, Phil. Yeah. And besides that first stint at being a sales trainer 
for that department store. Was this new speaking endeavor your second time basically going back as a trainer? Yes. I mean, it, it had always been a part of something that I'd done, right? So I didn't view it as I was becoming a speaker. It, it formed part of me leading my team of people from the car washing business where I would have five, six, seven kids that were thinking about coming to do the work and I'd speak to them in the park ahead of, a, you know, as a debrief or a brief for, for the day ahead. So from there, it played a part from me cajoling crowds full of people as a, as a mobile disc jockey. I was speaking to audiences and creating an outcome. From it was always kind of part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I never had this, I'm going to be a speaker because in my head, my vision of what a speaker was, was Tony Robbins, was Jim mm -hmm. Rowan, was, you know, many of my heroes. And I thought I needed to be old and gray in order to be able to do that. And although I may have had aspirations for it to appear at one point in my life, I certainly didn't foresee what the last 13 years of my life would have been. You know, I thought that would have come much later. And it's kind of an awkward position now being, being 39 years of age and, and have achieved somewhere near like all of my professional goals. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. <laughs> That's it. Checked it all off. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> That's awesome. What do you think fuels you? to be this successful entrepreneur since the age of 14? I like problem solving. So much so that I'll often create problems so that I can solve them. <laughs> that works. <laughs> and I have a very simple belief that if somebody else can do it, then can somebody else be me? Mm -hmm. And it's I a question that. I ask myself regularly. And, and sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes like, heck no. No, I don't want to be away from my family that much. Or heck no, I don't really want to go down that level of leverage finance where I'm going to put myself under that level of exposure or hell no, I know what it would take to do that. I just can't be asked, right? It, it is sometimes the answer to that question is no, but sometimes the answer is, well, well, yeah, maybe. And then I'll go down that, that rabbit hole. Kind of going off of that, there are obviously sacrifices that you make as an entrepreneur. Do, what, what do you feel like those were for you, if any, and what kind of, how did those sacrifices play out in your life? Well, you're continually dealing with them. The, the big one, that I think many people don't give credit to is there is no predetermined plan. So it's not like your career where it says you come here and you do this for this long. And then if you do a good job, you'll, you'll go to this level and then that, et cetera, it's all mapped out and, and often at the discretion of other people, but still largely you've got a roadmap for your life. My roadmap for my life in my mind is a blank page. And, and that is both a blessing and a curse. Because what happens is you can do anything, yet you can't do everything, and therefore you have to very heavily calculate decisions. A very real thing for me right now, me and my wife are discussing which country do we want to live in. And given that we could live in a number, not only is it which country we want to live in, is if we live in that country, then where do we want to live in that country? How do we want to live in that country? How do we want our days to look? What do we want to be able to do to, to reverse engineer the perfect calendar? Now, we are working on that and making that one hell of a puzzle to try and think about. Yet, that is also a curse again. Because it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Just to try and wrap your head around all of those different decisions and micro decisions, knowing that you can influence them and you can control them. There is a beautiful naivety in just accepting things to quote unquote fate even though that we control fate a lot more than we think we do. So, so I think that's one of the big curses of entrepreneurship and the thing that people, people don't quite realize. 
having so much freedom over your decisions. Freedom is not necessarily always a good thing. Right. No, yeah. It's a lot of pressure. The other part of it is, is taking people with you. You know, I've got members of my team that have been with me for 13, 14, 15 years. And you have a responsibility towards that. You have a responsibility to paint and keep repainting a vision for them. You have a responsibility to communicate your plans because your plans involve their plans or their plans are interlaced within your plans. So there is this sense of responsibility important to give credit to. And I, and I feel that's often overlooked. And that's been one of the things that, that was an unknown attached towards entrepreneurship. So this affects personal friendships. It affects the relationships you have with your family. It means you have to get disciplined around who are the right people to speak to about what, because you quite naturally find yourself having the right conversation with the wrong person. And the result of which is that you could end up damaging or sabotaging that relationship because you use that person for the wrong purpose. So it's become very, very apparent to me to get clear on who's in my life for what. And not everybody is a business advisor. That's a great um, point. Yeah. So kind of going off that building teams, like you said, you have people relying on you. How did you build your perfect team? How do you find those people that align with your mission? I'm still working on it. I have no idea. I certainly wouldn't class myself as an expert on that. I found it as a struggle in every business I've ever been a part of. So I, I'm pretty sure that there isn't a secret formula to it. I, I think a bigger lesson is to know that nobody's going to care about your business any more than you do. Nobody is going to deliver a standard any higher than you do. Um, nobody's going to get it anywhere like that you do. So the expectation that you think that your team is going to do it for you, in my experience, is a myth. Yet what does happen when you reach levels of success is you can employ talent that is better than or more or different than the skills that you bring. And then you can add a breadth to your team. And I think that takes some maturity as a leader to be able to say, hold on, who's better than me at that specific thing? How do I employ a, a skill set that challenges me or pushes back? How do you find out who's better than you? Do you do assessments? Do you do extensive interviews? A little bit of both. But more often than not is, is I'm looking for team members in the same way I'm looking for customers, right? Is, is the detailed analysis of knowing who your people are, taking more of a headhunting approach, trying to find a way to get that talent to be able to come across and be a part of what it is that you're doing. And, and there becomes a point with a business where you have a choice to make is, has this been a season? Like it was a good season and, and now I want to bring it down. And if you're going to run a business for a season, then what you need is you need employees, you need contributors, you need people who are going to do what they need to do at the time they need to do it, but they're not going to invest their whole life in this. They are going to be you know, high performers of their job and they're happy to do that with a start line and an end line, knowing that it will be onto something else. So I think those are good businesses to build sometimes, things you can get in and out of. What you then have is, is the idea that you're going to do something forever. And that is a is something that very few entrepreneurs think about ahead of starting a venture. It's like, I'm going to do this forever. This is going to be my job forever. Yeah, they don't think of the exit. No, and, and lots of people take the thing they love, turn it into the business, and then realize, well, actually, they're not doing the thing they love. What they're doing is administering and managing and marketing and promoting. Right, and it's no longer fun. Yeah, this is now your job forever. So I see a lot of people that are, that are 
entombed by the business that they built for themselves. And then the third stage on from there is where you're going to build something and you're going to keep it and you're going to maintain it, but you're going to let it go as you grow. And I think that's where you need to really have your wits about you bringing talent into your business. Because you're not looking at just the children that you've nurtured in that journey. It's now where you're looking to be able to say, okay, the role that I play in the business maybe needs five people to deliver that role. And those five people are well-defined into career-based opportunities that people can step out of and into, but you've created enough system around that role that, that people can bring their own individual brilliance to it and operate the system in a different way to what you did and perhaps achieve different results. And then you give yourself the ability to, to be able to exit. But you have to know what you do so well to be able to hand it on to others. And you have to build a process and a system that people can then bring their individual brilliance to. Because if you're trying to get people to do your version of brilliant, expect to fail for it. You talked about you and your wife deciding on where you're going to move to, what country you can live in. You have many options. I'm curious, what do you think about your geographical location, the importance of it? How important is it, especially today in the virtual world? Do you think it matters where you're living? Yeah, I think it matters. I think it matters as much as it's always mattered but for different reasons, because we still commute, right? Whether your commute was a you know 90 minute drive to, to Manhattan from living in a surrounding area, whether your commute was I've got to fly across the country, whether your commute is I've got to get from my bedroom to my studio. Creating an environment that is fit to allow you to do your best work is important. It gives you some extra percentage points in what you can go on to go and achieve. Yeah. And down to how you curate your office environment down to what the commute looks like, down to who else is around that you can bounce ideas from. Like our agency that we run right now as well, from a from marketing agency point of view, we have like 30 odd staff that all live in a different place that we've run entirely remotely for the last, what, four and a half years. Yet still there's a time you want to all be able to get in a room. There are those things that you still want to be able to kind of wrap your hands around things. So geographic location, is important, but but now I think you can view that on more of a global scale. For example, in my life is is a factor is how easily can I get to an international airport? Right. If I'm gonna do 30, 40, 50 in-person events a year and those could be anywhere in the world, then proximity to international airport means that the decision between me saying yes or no to a piece of work is if I'm in one location, it's one day's work. If I'm in a different location, that could be as much as five days work and the fee is the same. Like getting to Tampa airport. Right. (laughs) Interestingly enough, is it's easier for me to commute to the bulk of America right now from Heathrow airport in London than it is from two thirds of the airports in the United States. That's crazy. I could be comfortable more productive in my flight i could manage the expense more easily flying from london than i could flying from tampa now that you've reached this level of success you've reached your professional goals what does that feel like and what do you feel like made it this way for you i mean i'm curious what what you're looking for in like five ten years or if you're mostly going to be focused on your you know personal goals versus the professional side of things it feels humbling which is it's quite a nice relief type feeling. Like it feels like it was worth it and it's kind of freeing. It's not, let me pop the champagne cork or whooping and hollering like I've made it. It's actually quite freeing. Like, 
you've taken yoga for five days consecutively and you feel a little looser and a little chilled and you, you, you're feeling good about it. That, that's the feeling that's attached to it. The other side of that feeling is a little bit of lack of direction because you've always created something for yourself to chase. And then the second that you've caught all of those things, you have to consciously rewire your brain. Right. Like, where so, do you go from here? Yeah. Well, well, it needs a different fuel. It requires you to be able to take a little bit of stock and say, okay, how do I reinvent? And the only way I can deal with this is to say, well, why don't you do what you've always done? Which is to get clear on the answer to two very simple questions. And question one is, who are the people that you serve? And question two is, what are the problems that you solve for them? Now, if you get crystal clear on those two questions, you can find purpose again. You can find something that you want to chase and that you want to get after in it. And it starts to define what your actions are. And, you know, if I'm in the car cleaning business, the people I'm looking to serve are local people with dirty vehicles. What problems am I looking to solve for them? Well, I'm stopping them needing to either drive a dirty car or take it to an overpriced car wash or put your luxury vehicle through a device that could cause permanent damage. These are the problems I'm trying to help solve and to do it all without you thinking whilst your car is on the doorstep, right? Like that was the, the thought process at that time. At this point in time, well, I'm looking to serve different people. And some of those people are people like my parents and my brother and my sister and some of the friends that I haven't perhaps been at as many things as I would have liked to have been at. And in that mix is also maybe myself, you know, things that I would have liked to explore or as hobbies, perhaps from when I was younger. And I never really gave myself the time to, to, to master any of them, although that I've enjoyed them is, is the chance to better bring dedicated effort towards those things. So, so those are the problems that I might be looking to solve for myself. One yeah. off question in this podcast is I've always said to myself for over 20 years is I'd love to be able to play a musical instrument. I have made close to zero progress on that promise. I've probably written that goal down, I don't know, 20, 30 times, made close to zero progress. The closest I've got is purchasing an interest instrument, let alone playing it. So giving time, energy and effort towards maybe some of those other life goals is a thing, but also shifting any business ideas to make them less about does this make money and more about, does this sustain my existence at the level that I would like whilst doing things that make my heart sing, whilst having perhaps a greater purpose that, that serves somebody's needs higher than mine? So that, that starts to allow you the freedom to either be able to contribute or start other ventures that, that aren't necessarily passion projects, but allow you to fuel those projects with passion. So you're a best-selling author. Your company is doing very well. You have 30 employees. Can you talk to us a little bit about your business model? How do you, how does it work? How do you make money? Which business model? <laughs> um, so in my personal brand business, so my Phil M. Jones business, um, we have 37 different independent revenue streams that I treat as separate businesses. Wow. 37. That's incredible. So that's everything from my in-person keynote speaking business to my licensing training business to my publishing business to my online courses business to my royalties business that exists with audio products to um my international licensing deals like like we, we slice and dice my personal brand into yeah 37 different independent revenue streams 
So they all exist, have different entities, have different people around them. That's that business. I also um, own and operate an agency business that supports the US's um, top leading hearing care practices. And we provide a done with you marketing solution for those companies. So that is a monthly subscription fee that people pay for a done with you service. That's about sustaining their efforts over a period of time. And that's a solid seven figure business too. And that's the one that employs 32 two individuals supporting the customer base. I also have a publishing imprint business where I help other people take their ideas and bring them to life and build personal brand businesses about that. I have a property portfolio investment business that we run as a proper entity. Oh my uh, goodness, the list goes on. Yeah, we, we're always doing stuff. How important is it to you, do you think, to have multiple streams of revenue? How important do you think that is for an entrepreneur? Essential. But by multiple streams of revenue, it's more about creating an e ecosystem where effort can be duplicated and effort can be rewarded with more than one paycheck. You know, the reason I have my agency business is I was doing a lot of speaking and consulting work into that specific industry. We were giving advice and guidance about sales and marketing strategies towards those people and then advising them to try and find local vendors to fulfill it. And then they were hitting a roadblock in the fulfillment towards getting that stuff done. So I started a small agency to support those clients. That small agency then grew over a period of time through delivering great work. The reason that we started a publishing company is because I wanted to own my own IP and I didn't want to actually be able to lose that through a traditional publishing model. And I believed that I could build marketing systems that would get better results for my own work than by selling them up front for a you know, fixed fee at the front end and actually build a legacy business that way around. So, so building an ecosystem around your body of work and then looking at saying how do i diversify both you know laterally and vertically is what i mean by multiple revenue streams not yeah owning five demonstrably different ways of earning money and and, and having five badly paying jobs right yours so, are all kind of connected and related yes there's another thing i'd say to particularly any young entrepreneur is if we take the year of 2020 that is has been challenging for many, one of the biggest reasons it was so challenging for many is because of the way their business and in turn their revenues were structured. They had a model that says, I eat what I kill and hunting season got closed. Therefore, they weren't in the ability to be able to eat because they weren't able to go hunting. And that, that's what Good happened. Analogy. Let's move it into another analogy is if you give a child a cupcake, what are the only parts of the cupcake the child likes to eat? Frosting. They want the frosting, they want the sprinkles, right? And they want everything that's on top of the cupcake, they don't actually want the cupcake. And most people in business think the same way. What they do is they run for the sexy sweet stuff that's on the top end of the business model, the stuff that makes them look good. Let's take a speaking business, for example. They wanna be on stages, they wanna get paid big fees, they wanna take the selfie of themselves in first class, mm -hmm. right? They want all of that stuff. The trouble is, is that sprinkles is where that should sit in a model. That isn't a business that sprinkles. And if you treat it as a business and think it's your only business, then expect to be able to hit a dry spell. And if you can't afford to run in that dry spell, then you don't have a business. You just have a high income part-time job that you do occasionally. What you should look to be able to do is to build the base of your cupcake in and around whatever your business model is. And the base of your cupcake should not be enough to support all of your ongoing infrastructure. I've built my business this way from the very start. So in 2008, the base of my cupcake was one-on-one -on -one retained coaching clients. 
They'd pay a fixed monthly fee for a guaranteed deliverable. On top of that, I could have books and speeches and one-offs, et cetera, that would be the cream on the top of my, my cupcake. Today, the base of my cupcake is different. It's royalties from book sales. So the base of my cupcake pays my entire operation. It's a good base. Behind that, what we then have is other things that are now cupcakes on top of cupcakes that have a stacked up, et cetera. But it means that people look at me and think I have a speaking business. My speaking revenue is my fun money. It's on top of everything that already pays all of our bills and pays for our lifestyles and pays for our you know, pension plans, et cetera. So every speech I get is gravy. It's on top of. And I, I think people should focus on building the base of their cupcake in their business model with the non-sexy stuff. And if you can use a third of your time to cover all of your overhead and you can sustain it, then you get the freedom to actually be able to play up in the good stuff. Yeah, if you're trying to live on sprinkles alone, expect to get sick. <laughs> That's a great one. Okay, asking for a friend here. How does an entrepreneur balance the... ADHD distractions of multiple streams of revenue versus building a solid foundation and a solid business with multiple streams of revenue. Start with the cupcake. See, the fun thing is I can start anything new today and if it fails, it doesn't matter. Do you fail a lot? Yeah, sure. I give up on ideas all the time. But like, if you don't have this steady part that just keeps everything rolling, then it's a house of cards that's going to come over over one day. As far as like achieving financial freedom to be able to enjoy, you know, because you had that cupcake base and now you have your fun money, your sprinkles on top. When did you feel like you had achieved that financial freedom? And I know because a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes struggle with this concept of like, should I just get a regular job and have a cushy salary and not be afraid of not making money some month? Did you ever go through that? And at what point did you, were you like, okay. I'm good. Like, I don't have to worry about that anymore. I feel way safer when I know where my money is coming from. And by which I mean, not in a job. Because as a job, you often don't know where your money is coming from. And, and therefore, there could be a point in time where everything looks rosy to you and the, your business department is now surplus to requirements. Something happens further up the line that you have no foresight towards and your life can change instantaneously. So for me, having a job is risky. I know if I'm going to be in the crap. Like, I, it, I also know it was my fault. I saw it come in and I could make changes before it happens as opposed to needing to react after it happens. So, so my great. belief is that actually I'm, I'm far more in control. There's a question I struggle with a lot and I think it's the most important question every human being should ask themselves is how much is enough? We're all hardwired and programmed to chase more. And more is, is not always the answer. So my wife and I right now are exploring some very interesting conversations to say, okay, how much money do I need doing what to mean that I would never need to work another day again in my life and us maintain a high standard of living and us be able to maintain the flexibility of option of being able to send our kids on trips to be able to provide, you know, payments towards it. And the funny thing is, is, is if you map all this out, you can make it work on paper, just like you would a business plan. You, you can actually map what financial freedom over the next 50, 80 years might look like. And then you can answer how much is enough, which then means that you can stop at some point should you choose to. And that's an empowering game to play. And I, I believe, touch wood, that we will be there by December the 1st of this year, which is my 40th birthday. Oh my goodness. That's so exciting. Hmm. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to just 
be done working or you're just going to keep reinventing? Um, it just means that I've done the cupcake principle thing on my life. You would admit that, like cool. that, that same thing of being able to say, okay, like, like I'm good is the standard of living that I said I wanted as a child is now taken care of. Now we're living in play space. Yeah, that's cool. That's a cool place to be. That's a great place to be at your age, especially. What is, yeah, especially so young. Um, what does a typical day look like for you? I'm curious with running all these businesses. <laughs> I have no idea. My typical day is based on me trying to get out of doing as many things as possible. Like, how do I not do stuff? They, those are the puzzles that I'm trying to. So whether that is kicking something back to a member of the team to helping them overcome it, whether it's you know, delegating something towards my management agency so that no longer lands in my inboxes. I'm, I'm trying to free myself from email. That's like a current puzzle. I want to delete my e- email inbox and throw away my phone. That's what I'd like to be able to do soon. Sounds nice. <laughs> days are focused on, on anything that stops me doing those things. And it's been such a whirlwind of a change is you know, 15 months ago, we were living in Manhattan with a part-time holiday home in the UK. We went to the UK last March for a month waiting for this COVID thing to, to figure itself out. And we stayed for six during which period of time we bought a new house in the UK that we're currently starting a renovation project on. We bought a new home in Florida site unseen in a place that we'd never even been to before that we uh, relocated our family here to for the last sort of eight, nine months. And then we're about to head back towards the UK. So like, the only thing that is similar in my days um, is that they start and end. There, there hasn't been that much routine for probably the last five years. And you like it that way, right? I don't know. I have liked it that way. But, you know, where I'm currently at, I think I'd quite like to get my coffee from the same place every day. I think I'd quite like to wake up in the same bed. I, I really enjoyed that over the last year is, is not bouncing airport to airport, not bouncing from hotel to hotel, and actually being able to have a continuous, never-ending conversation with my family members, as opposed to a stop-start fragmented one. That, that's taught me how much I was missing by having that over the last 12, 18 months. What advice would you give to a new entrepreneur just starting out? If you had one piece. <laughs> or three. <laughs> Let's do one, first of all, which is to accept that nobody knows what they're doing. I find that such a liberating thing once you understand it, is, is there is no right way of doing it. Everybody's making it up. Elon Musk is making it up as he goes along, as is Richard Branson, as is Sheryl Sandberg. Like, uh, I, you know, Oprah is thinking, well, what should I do on the show next week? Right? Like, nobody has this pre written blueprint and nobody has figured anything out more than you have. So enjoy the fact that we're all making it up and enjoy the fact that they all make mistakes like you're going to make mistakes too. And I think that yeah. liberating belief is what I'd encourage of, of, of new entrepreneurs is. Get excited about the fact that you're going to fail often. Embrace the fact that this is a never-ending struggle and, and that's what you chose to be. And success is a feeling. That's all it is. You feel successful. You're not, you, you are not successful. You get to choose to feel successful, which means that you get to define what that success is, which means that you're in control of a lot more than what you think you are. So, so like, that would be where my head would be at for advice for new entrepreneurs. 
I'd add two pieces of more pragmatic or practical advice. One is if it doesn't work on paper, it won't work in real life. And take the time to be able to build a model that, that you can run the numbers through in every given area. And that if this works out, I got it. Like what I'll charge for it, what they'll pay for it, what my costs are, who else I need to be able to pay to go to get this done. Make it work on paper, make it realistic. Check the fact that what you have is not just a cute idea. You actually have a model that has links. Another practical piece of advice to an entrepreneur is, is sell it first. If nobody will buy what you're selling, I don't care how good it is. Right. Like, like sell it before you make it. <laughs> yeah. But well, well, also, like, I even remember my first sales training workshop that I built. I knew what problem I could help solve. I didn't know exactly what needed to be in my one day sales training program. So I remember selling it and it was easy. It was a series of questions. It was how's business to which everybody would say, well, you know, it's all right. I'd say, really? And they'd say, well, you know, I could always take on more. Okay. I'd say, what are some of the things that you're doing right now to be able to generate more new business? And they'd often say, not a lot. I'd say, how open-minded are you looking at other ways of being able to grow your organization? They'd say, yeah, I'm up for that. I'd say, what are you doing March the 22nd? They say, well, what are you thinking? I'd say, are you free or not? They say, yeah, I can be free. I'd say, it's great. I'm running a one-day sales planning workshop that's going to help you be able to not only create more opportunities, but close more opportunities. They said, will it cover this? I said, well, you're sure. And then wrote that thing down. <laughs> right? And that taught me through multiple conversations what needed to be in the products that although I'd sold them the place on it, actually learning the needs of the first 12 people who were in my first workshop through the sales process is what taught me how to deliver to them what a home run looked like because they gave me the ingredients to bake. Yeah. And the same is true with everything else is take it and market first. Like if you want to launch a podcast, find a sponsor. If, you know, somebody who's going to pay for it or, or have a plan that says this is what this is going to reach to. If you want to write a book, build the audience first of who's going to buy it so that what you know is you've got a ready-made customer. And I think people forget that businesses need customers. If you can find customers, you can build a business. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's absolutely something that people forget. They like build this amazing thing, what they think is amazing, and then nobody buys it. And it's like, oh, well, guess I didn't understand my customer. <laughs> Right. Um, and something we, we like to ask every guest, um, what is, what is your thoughts on, what are your thoughts on, is an entrepreneur born or can they be bred? Can they be made? I think we are all born hungry, inquisitive, wanting to make change with the ability to better ask questions, to be able to challenge status quo and to be able to achieve more than any of us thought was possible. That is humanity as a whole. So we were all born with the ingredients that would go into a becoming an entrepreneur. Do we all then get nurtured into the ability to take the responsibility of leadership? No, I think many of us are actually happier following and understand being an entrepreneur is leading. And that doesn't mean that you're born or that you're made into one of those things, is, is that you need to be prepared to take the responsibility of leadership to be an entrepreneur. And that, that is something that you learn through life experience. I think you can be nurtured into being a leader and leadership is certainly a skill. Wow, Phil, you have been amazing. Where can people find you? 
I'm, I'm pretty easy to find providing you use my middle initial. So Phil M. Jones, um, any form of Google search should take you where you're looking for. PhilMJones.com is the website. I'm on all the social platforms. Books are everywhere. You can find books, et cetera, et cetera. Well, thank you so much, Phil. We really enjoyed having you on. I think our listeners will benefit a lot from your advice and your story. So thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Wow. I mean, what? You got, like we went over forty minutes there, but we don't even feel bad Who about it. Who cares? <laughs> don't even feel that bad. That all went out like, the window with Phil. I mean, if you're not inspired, I don't know what's going to inspire you ever. I don't because... either. Well, stay tuned, folks. The next episode, we have an amazing. Well, we have two amazing guests. Yes, Mikey Wren, Ariel Biggs, mother son combo. I cannot like wait for you guys to learn combo. about them. I know it's going to be amazing. All right. See you next time. Can't wait. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 40 Under 40 podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort and we'll catch you in the next episode.